Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you on this blustery, cold winter day in San Diego. I know some of you are st- uh, stayed home today because I wanted to make sure you'd be able to make it home in case it rained. You didn't want to get stuck here. So um, great to, to uh, be with you again, always. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure for us. One of the reasons we like to gather each week is just for that time to be together and be reminded that following our God is something worth doing. And it's good to find encouragement from one another and, and, and to realize we're not the only crazy ones out there. We, there's, there's others who we can journey with, so we're glad to have you with us. We are in a series called Go, and we call it God's Call for Ordinary People in Everyday Life. And when, we do, when we're talking about this series, if you've been around, maybe you're starting to grasp it, but maybe you're just visiting today, and, and you think, oh, what is this all about? Now, who are the ordinary people? Let me just say right now, that's us. We are all the ordinary people. Now, you may look at someone else and say their life is extraordinary compared to yours, but to them, it's ordinary. And, and so when we say ordinary people, we just mean you are those people. I am that person. And in everyday life. So we're trying to explore God's call for us, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, or if you're just exploring and saying, do I want to be a follower of Jesus? It's what does God call us to to be and to do in the rhythms of our normal life? Now, I'm in the life stage. I have uh, three boys. They're in school. So my life stage, my normal life, um, usually looks something like this. I like to get up pretty early in the morning because nobody else is awake yet. Um, my dog often doesn't even get up when I'm up. He just kind of looks at me and says, later. Um, and, and so I like to get up because the house is quiet and no one else is awake. And, and so I'll get up and, and spend some time, check the news, and hopefully get some reading done before everyone starts making their way downstairs. And then I help get uh, the boys ready for school, a couple of them. Uh, I'm responsible for two of them in the morning to get them off to school. So I'll drive them to school, drop them off, and then I'm often here um, in the office pretty early in the day, um, like before 8 o'clock or right at 8, and so I get, I'm, I'm up and I'm going. And uh, lunchtime, about three times a week <clears throat> on a good week, is I like to participate in this lunchtime basketball league at the community center. So my normal life is I take an hour lunch break and I go and I run and play basketball with a bunch of business owners and, and people who work from home and pastors, you know, people who don't have real jobs. We go and we, uh, well, that, that was funny to some of us, but yeah, no, I mean, we take that hour to play and it's, so the rhythm of my normal life is to be there with a, with a group of guys from our community who would like to play basketball together. So I do that a few times a week. And then back in the office, and then in the afternoon, it's springtime. So springtime for me is really all about being at the baseball fields. Um, I love baseball. I love coaching baseball. So I have my uh, Little League team. Um, and yes, something happened to me, and somehow I ended up with two this year. But, um, and, and so I have two teams, so I just live at the fields um, in, in the afternoon. But uh, So one of the rhythms of my life then is to be there with a bunch of kids just playing baseball and coaching and having fun with them. In addition to that, my oldest son, you know, has things. So you come home and then, you know, might be helping with homework. Come home, try to get a meal. Uh, this time of year, it's, you know, everything is cooked in the crock pot. And you kind of come home and sit down for a few minutes and throw it down and go off to the next thing. Now, that is my normal life. Some of you hear that and you think, that sounds terrible. <laughs> That's because you probably aren't in this life stage right now. For all of us in the life stage, we're just like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> And those of you maybe who your kids are grown, you look back and think, 
I am so grateful that we made it through that life stage. Those of you who maybe you're married, you're young married, you don't have kids yet, you think, let's hold off a little while. (laughs) But either way, for us, this is just normal life. And so we're talking about God's call and the rhythms of our normal life, our everyday life. That's my everyday life. For some of you, it might be that you're a student. Your everyday life revolves around kind of working hard and studying and being in classes and and working on papers and and study groups and, and trying to find time throughout the week to go do fun things to get your mind off it. That's your normal life. For some of you, maybe you're empty nesters and maybe you're a dual income with no kids and, and, and that's your normal life of all that happens with that. I can't even imagine what that looks like. But, uh, but whatever that is, you know what that is for you. And so this series is about God's call for ordinary people in everyday life. And your call or your everyday life looks very different than mine. And that's how it's supposed to be. Now, another thing about this series, some of you may have heard heard or you've been a part of this church and you hear, man, we're going to do seven weeks on a series called Go. And you think, that is awful. I don't want to hear about the fact that you want us to go for seven weeks. And for some of you, maybe you say, hey, I'm an introvert. Introverts out there, and we know you're out there because statistically 50.1% of you are introverts. 50.1% of you are thinking, That's terrible. Seven weeks to tell me to go talk to other people I don't know? Forget it. That sounds awful. And and I'm of this, I'm at this new kind of thing. They've said it's an ambivert. So I get to be both. I'm a little bit extrovert, a little bit introvert. I'm right in the middle. So I, I can be around people. I love hanging out. It doesn't drain me. But I also can go like a week without talking to anyone. And that's fine too. And there are days when I just don't want to talk to anybody. I hate it when pay at the pump isn't working. I have to go inside and interact with a human. I mean, there's days I'm like, oh, I got to go talk to someone. And, and, and so I feel you for those of you who are like, I, I just, it's not me to go and, and to go everywhere. We talk about, hey, any of you host a Super Bowl party and some of you introverts are like, that sounds like I just went to hell. Are you serious? I have to invite all my neighbors and have a big party? Forget it. We're not telling you to do something that's not you. God has created you uniquely. Now the extroverts, when we say, hey, invite your neighbors and have a party, you're thinking, of course I would. Why wouldn't I? We're having a Saturday party because it's Saturday. Awesome. If that's you, we want that to be you. See, this is God's call for ordinary people in everyday life. The way God has uniquely created you and made you to be. And so don't think that, oh, this doesn't work in my context. As I said, for some of you introverts, going might be going to the five to ten people that you talk to regularly and you're really comfortable with. And that's who you go to. And that's fine. We don't want you to feel guilty about not being someone else because God made you who you are. But there is one thing about this. We do want to be a community of people who do go though who don't just say oh we come on sunday mornings we hear the message maybe even we read the daily encounters throughout the week to get really spiritual and then we just leave it there we don't want to be a community of people who take that and never play out the things that we're learning and processing 
I had a privilege, uh, I was a youth pastor for many years, and one of the great things about doing a youth pastor is you get to travel all over the place. You do youth, um, you know, we'd go snowboarding or go wakeboarding. Uh, we did mission trips. I mean, it was like, that was called, that's not a real job. That's an awesome job. Um, I actually almost didn't hire the next one when we needed one last year because I was like, I'd rather do that. That sounds so much fun. But so youth pastors get to do all this fun stuff. But I had the privilege of traveling all over the world on mission trips with students. And one of the things that I learned about that is those experiences were so much better when I actually engaged with the culture. I remember one time I was um, in Uganda and I was at the school that was for these street kids who were rescued off the street and, and it was springtime and there's these grasshoppers hopping everywhere and they're all out in the field catching grasshoppers. And I thought, oh, that's to- I totally used to do that. And the school, the headmaster said, yeah, in the springtime, they get very distracted when the grasshoppers are out because it's such a tasty snack. And I went, oh, <laughs> that's a different game than I played. Um, and, and, and so they would catch all these grasshoppers. And, and I went over to some of the kids who, who were preparing them by pulling the wings and legs off them. And, and they saw me and they're like, pasta, would you like to have a grasshopper? And, and, I, and I thought, like, in my mind, I thought, no. No, I don't. Grasshoppers are creepy. Um, they just have those creepy legs and those big eyes. I don't want one. But they're like, they're very good and they're eating them. And I thought, yeah. So what I said was, of course, that sounds great. <laughs> and to see these kids when I sit down with them and pop the grasshopper in my mouth. And actually it was pretty good. It tastes like popcorn. And, and, and to sit there with them and to see the joy of having me with them, I thought, this is so much better than just saying, no, I'll just take a picture of you eating grasshoppers. <laughs> and I think I learned that one time. I was uh, another time in Africa, and I was at a church service. And, and I think our worship here at this church is really good. But, you know, it's very different than the African worship. And, and so you go into a church service, and they kind of get into it. Not even kind of. They put us to shame. And, and, and so there's this, when they start singing, it's not just singing, it's not just clapping, but there's this dancing going on all around you. And I already was standing out quite a bit because, you know, they knew I wasn't from there. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking around like, man, everyone's dancing, having a good time. And the thought that's going through this, through my mind is that would be really fun to also dance, but uh, this brother cannot dance. <laughs> And, and so I'm watching them and thinking, ah, I, I kind of want to, you know, participate, but if I think I stand out now, <laughs> you wait. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, if I try to dance, you know, with them, they're just going to be like, hey, why don't you just go sit back there for a while? We'll, come, we'll tell you when the dancing's over. But I knew that, you know what, what a shame to be here and, and to worry about that, because the only person in the room who cared whether I could dance or not was me. And to just say, fine, I'm just going to let go and try to dance. And so I went like, no, I'm not going to show you. And so, so I just participated and tried actually mimicking some of their moves. And I guarantee you it was awful. Um, thank God YouTube was not really popular yet. And, and so there's no, I don't think, footage of it. But just to participate. And one thing that I really felt was, this is so much better. And the reason I'm telling you this it's because there's this author, Richard Dahlstrom, and he's writing about Christian life. And he's talking about the fact that God has this rhythm and this dance that's going throughout the world. And often as Christians, we just hear about it, we study it, we say we believe it, 
but we never get up and dance. And for me, I think, you know what? I am really bad at dancing, but I'm so glad I'd rather do that poorly and see all the experiences that come. And Dahlstrom's comparison is in the Christian faith, we don't have it figured out. We are going to stumble in our journey in trying to to dance the Christian life. We're not going to have all the answers. We're going to get things wrong, but it is so much better to get off the seat and start dancing. And so the reason we're doing this series, even though it may be challenging, is because we believe that the Christian life, it's God's inviting us to this dance, to the rhythm of our life. And it's so much better than just sitting and watching and participating with that. And yeah, you might look really dumb sometimes. In fact, I hope you do. It makes for better stories. But God's inviting us. So that is why we are doing this series. So pray with me as we get into today's text. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for uh, the joy of serving you, the joy of following you. We thank you for this dance uh, and and just for the, the privilege of participating. God, I pray though this morning that you teach us. There's so many times when we fall short, so many times we don't get it right. So I ask God that you give us the courage to step out and to join in what you're doing. And so we give you this time now and ask that you speak to us. In your name, amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5. We were in Matthew chapter 5 a little bit last week, and in Matthew 5, last week Dale was teaching and he taught us about salt. And, and when Jesus is speaking and said, you are the salt of the earth. And now this week... He takes the next step on that uh, in the same passage in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. Jesus gives us some extra instruction. He says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that we may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus transitions the conversation a little bit for us this week when he's speaking and he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now anytime we study scripture and read anything in in scripture and come to a description like this, like you are the light of the world, we can very easily try to come up with what that probably means and we might even be right. We might say, well, what would light be? It means that we're kind of providing something, you know, maybe illuminating a path or we're, we're, we're brightening up the room, whatever it is. But what we want to do when we're studying Scripture and you come to something like that is let's ask, how is this word light used in other parts of Scripture so we can get a more full understanding and a more complete understanding of what it means when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So let's look at a few other verses. And there's 70 times in the New Testament it's used. Not all of them are in the same context, but we're not looking at all those, but a few of them that kind of illustrate the themes that, that this word is used for light so we can get it. First of all, uh, how is it used of Jesus? Here's just a few verses to look at, and I have these on the screen because we're going to be going through several of them quickly. In Luke chapter 2, verse 30, In 32, we see that uh, Jesus was born. He's a baby being dedicated in the temple. And there's this prophecy over him. And they said, for my eyes, uh, Simeon says this, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And it's his prayer to God. 
It's your salvation which you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So a light of revelation to the Gentiles is how the Messiah or the anointed one coming from God would, is described in the Old Testament. And now it, it's being now said of Jesus, he is a light of revelation that he will provide some more information or instruction uh, uh, for salvation for it. When he says Gentiles, it essentially is referring to all people. So Jesus comes and he is going to be a light and kind of show you the path for salvation for all people. Not only show you the path, but he says he is that salvation. So Jesus is light for salvation for all people. The author John in John chapter 1 verse 4 says this, In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That word comprehend is kind of tricky to translate here. It can be comprehend. It can also be to take it or to overtake it. So essentially it's something like, in Jesus, there was life, and it's, it's a life coming from God because He is God. And His light, or His life, was also the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness was unable to understand it, or overtake it, or change it, or something like that. But either way, something about Jesus' very life, the way He lived, the way He acted, the way He um, responded to others, the way He thought... That was true life, and that true life is described as light for mankind. Light that shines in darkness, and light that cannot be overcome. John also writes in chapter 8, verse 12, quoting Jesus. It says, Jesus spoke to his disciples, and he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, connecting light and life again. Saying that there's a different way to live. Jesus is saying, with me there is a new way to live. And if you understand my life, you have this light. It's, it's different than the dark. There's hope that you find in Jesus. There's a, a different way to interact with people. We'll get deeper on that in just a moment. Now, how else is it used? It's used of followers of Jesus. Let's look at this verse in Acts chapter 13 says this, and the disciples are talking at this point, and they said, the Lord commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, or for all people outside of the, the Jewish faith, but that's actually including all people here. I have placed you as a light so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So first we have all this description of Jesus being light, his very life is light, and now they say God, Jesus commanded us and said, now you are light to the ends of the earth. Is this thing buzzing a lot here? Anyone? Not sure how to do that, but thank you. (laughs) There you go. All right, let's start over. Um, Good morning, everyone. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. All right, so... That is way better. Okay, thank you. Where are we? We're talking about Acts chapter 13. Oh yeah, so we are light that brings salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says this, You formerly walked in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. In other words, once you were walking through life, 
in darkness. You didn't have this full revelation of how life was meant to be lived and experienced. You didn't have revelation of, of where salvation was found. And now you are. You found it in Jesus. And now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. Now, does this mean that people who are not followers of Jesus are completely walking in darkness and they're, they're evil, hopeless, angry people? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that when we encounter the God of the universe, the creator of the world, that our perspective starts to change. That we have something that we're grounded in that's very different. That our lives, now we have a reason for goodness in our lives. Now we have a reason for hope. We have a reason to be people of mercy and justice because the way we live now is the way that Jesus demonstrated to us and it's declaring His kingdom as we live. Everywhere we go, we're displaying His kingdom and our purpose is very different. It's because we are understanding who the creator of the universe is. Does it automatically make us better people because we're walking in the light? I wish it did. (laughs) But we still stumble. But we have a reason now. And that's why Paul says, hey, you now are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. Start walking like you're in the light. Quit walking like you're in the darkness. Hope, hopeless, without direction. Just trying to find purpose in yourself. You now have a lot more. So to take this a little deeper, we're going to look a little bit more in Ephesians chapter 5 and expand it. Say, what are some characteristics of this life of light? Let's expand it. It says, for you were formerly in darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now get this right here. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what it is that's pleasing to the Lord. So what is the fruit or what is the evidence of someone who's walking in light is the evidence of walking in light is there's goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now righteousness relates to our relationships with each other and to God. That there's... Uh, that we can walk kind of in a purity of relationships, that there's forgiveness, that there's grace, that there's not this envy and greed and kind of I'm going to one-up on you and, I, and, and you are just a pawn in my world and I'm going to use you to get ahead. No, he's saying people who walk in righteousness, one characteristic of the light is that there's peace in your relationships with each other. There's peace in your relationship with God. And that only comes through Jesus Christ, that peace in your relationship with God. So the fruit of that is, is goodness. Now there's, there's people who are not Christians who are filled with goodness, I believe. Who do great. I look at them and think, man, that is a, just a good person. Maybe not salvation speaking, but they do, they do more good than some of the best Christians I know. But the relationship with God maybe is marred. Or they're finding God only within. Which always leads, in the words of a famous songwriter, to your chest. <laughs> Just keeps leading you to bump into yourself. So characters of the light are goodness, righteousness, and truth. We now have something that grounds us as we go through life. We now have a reason to believe what we believe. And here's one big distinction that we need to have as followers of Jesus. One of the fruit, if it's truth, And I believe that one of the things that's such a great testimony of those following God is how we respond under pressure. 
How do we respond when we face adversity? How do we respond when we face tragedy? How do we respond when we, when we face kind of the pressures of the business world? See, as people who are walking in the light, who have the truth, should be one of the characteristics, is if we believe that God is in control, then nothing is out of His control. Christians should be people who demonstrate that, the way we walk. That is a great testimony and a big difference often between those who are followers of Jesus. Is, it should be a big difference, I should say. Is that we have something that we are grounded in. That we can say there's hope beyond the grave. There's hope beyond this world. There's something that anchors how I live. And I promise you that that speaks volumes to a world that is looking for hope. Some of my dear friends that I've gotten to know here in Encinitas, one of the th- questions that um, they have is, how do, you, how do you raise your kids? How do you do that without freaking out? <laughs> you see, because in Encinitas, one of the gods of Encinitas is our children. Any of you who raised your kids here or are in the process, you may face that pressure. Is we all want our kids to be smarter than everyone else's kid. We want our kids to hit fastballs better than everyone else. We want them to be faster. We want them to be better swimmers. We want them to be better dancers, singers, whatever they do. And there's so much pressure to get your kid in all these extra things so that they're better than everyone else. And it's just exhausting. And people of the light need to say, wait, wait, can we provide extra opportunities for our kids? Of course, that's okay. But maybe we need to temper it. But at the end of the day, are we trying to be gods? Are kids, one, our gods? Or two, are your kids just here and you want to be God of their life? You say, God, God in heaven, take care of everything, but I got my kids, all right? I'm going to make sure that they're okay. And so when you send them off to school in the morning, can you send them off and say, God, they're in your hands. Whatever happens, I trust that you are in control. As my kid gets older and gets a driver's license, God, I trust that you're in control. Can we be people who are like that? People of the light are grounded in truth. We have hope that's deeper. Now, I'm not going to let my kid drive, so that's where it will be easy for me. But... No, do we send them off? Does that mean we don't worry? Of course we're going to worry. We're parents. My dad still says, oh, be careful when you're going. I'm like, dad, seriously? You still worried about that? (laughs) He goes, well, I'm still your dad. Okay, fair point. Guess we'll always worry. But the thing is, too, are we trusting that God's in control of our kids? Trusting that God's in control of your life? When I was working in the business world, I faced that temptation to manipulate sales numbers because my whole life was evaluated based on a series of numbers that could be totally unrelated to real performance. I mean, not totally unrelated, but somewhat unrelated. And I remember that temptation of thinking, oh, if I just manipulated this and this, I would look like a superstar. And it was hard sometimes to say no to that. But I had to step back and say, am I doing my best? Yes. Do I feel like I'm, I, I'm doing a good job? Yes. Are we falling short in one or two areas? Sometimes yes, but can I trust that God has got this? That he's not up there like, oh man, Ryan, a good thing you did that. Otherwise, I don't know how I would have taken care of you and your family. See, children of the light, a representative of the light is saying, no, we have hope that's so much bigger 
in this world. So that's some of the characteristics of it. So let's jump back now. We need to understand those characteristics when you hear Jesus say, you are the light. Because it's this really big thing. It's not just, oh yeah, you're, yeah, you're shining bright. Woo! Make the world happier. No, you are different. You're filled with goodness and right relationships and you're grounded in truth. And we find that as we live the way Jesus lives. So he says, oh yeah, you're light just like I'm light. So watch my words, watch my deeds, and live the way I lived. And you are light. Now, let's look at what he says. You are light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. In the ancient world, there wasn't a lot of electricity. So uh, cities could be seen. If you've ever been maybe somewhere where it's just completely dark, and you look and you see just one light will bright, you'll see it from a long distance away. And the city on the hill, Jesus is saying, you will be noticed. People will notice and see you from a long way off when we are living as people of light. They are going to notice where the light is. And, and one thing I've learned is that people, when they kind of hit rock bottom, often try to look and find light. And so if we are living as children of the light, you might, don't be surprised if people come to you and say, hey, I want to ask you something. I was at a Super Bowl party that there was 150 people there or something like that. It was pretty cool. It was at a house um, over here in Cardiff. And one of the other guys I coached with, we were there and he goes, hey, I know you're into that religion thing. And, and, um, <laughs> and he, he said, you know, my kid, and he started talking about our kids who are in high school. And he said, How, what do you think I should do with this? And it kind of was related to, you know, high school issues. But I loved it because he's saying, how do you process this as being one of those religious people? (laughs) See, he was interested to hear what the light was saying. So Jesus says, a city on the hill can't be hidden. You can't hide it. You are light. And he says, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but you put it on a lampstand. It gives light to the whole house. In the ancient world, especially in Israel, most of the houses were just one-room houses If you had a a, a lamp stand that's lit, it would light up the whole house. Jesus says, how stupid it would be for you to use up your oil by lighting this lamp and then hide it. So not only is he just telling you the old children's song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. He's saying, no, you're a light. It would be stupid for you to not shine because you are shining. Jesus says, you're worthless if you're a shining light that's hidden. That's not how you're designed. That is not your identity. Your identity is to shine providing light for all who are around you. It's not just a light that people go to when they know they're in darkness, but it's light that's shining in dark places. See, if the only light we have is a light when we come in here on Sunday mornings and all of a sudden we turn on our light and go, hey, look at us, we're children of the light, we're gathered together, look how bright this room is, this is awesome. Goodness, truth, right relationships, great. And then we leave those doors and we go, ooh, I don't want anyone to see this light. It's worthless. See, the light doesn't do much good when it's in a room that's already lit. Light needs to be in dark places. Why are we concerned about being ordinary people in the rhythms of our everyday life? Because all of our lives are very different. And my guess is a couple of you are in places that you'd say might be dark. (laughs) And if all of us scatter as lampstands around our city, in dark places, the light shines. Notice Jesus doesn't say, take your light and set the world on fire and burn it down. (laughs) 
No, he says, go to the dark places and be light. Illuminate those dark places. When you live out the words and the ways of Jesus, it brings light into dark places, but only when we're in dark places. So be light everywhere you go. You might think, well, Ryan, my life is I'm a, I'm a school teacher. I go to school. What, what can I do there? Now, your job as a school teacher is to be the light, the light of Jesus, to live the way Jesus would live. And, and you're not just a school teacher, but you're showing the world what it looks like when Jesus teaches kids what 2 plus 2 equals. So you don't have to preach to be the light. You interact, them, interact with people with the grace and the truth and the forgiveness and, and, and with, without the jealousy and all those things the way that Jesus did with compassion, with genuine concern. And the world sees, oh, that's what it would look like if Jesus was my teacher. If you coach baseball, you're showing the world not just, oh, that I'm a baseball coach, but this is what it looks like when Jesus coaches a bunch of kids how to play baseball. If you're volunteering in the school, you're showing them this is what it would look like if Jesus was a volunteer at the school. When you're helping out your neighbor, when you're, when you're a boss and leading a big company, you're showing them what it looks like. That's what light does. It shines where it is. And you're showing the world that this is the ways and the words and the thoughts of Jesus, the way I interact. So Jesus says, so let that light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I am convinced that when we live the ways of Jesus, that people respond. Now they may not always respond and give their lives to Christ at every chance, but I do believe that people find hope. They find something different in them. I have this friend who I've been hanging out with for a couple of years down here. He also is pretty involved in our little league down here. And a few weeks ago, we were hanging out at OG's and we were talking about the draft. You know, it's a pretty big deal, 12-year-olds drafting your team. This is big time. Um, <laughs> and so we were talking about the draft ahead of time. And, and, um, and he's even on another team, but that's fine. We were kind of sharing notes. And while we are talking, he just stopped and said, so um, have you always been a Christian? And I thought, oh. No, I haven't. And so I kind of started sharing a little bit. Well, like, no, I didn't grow up fully as a Christian. It was high school. And he's like, well, and, and then he asked this question. He goes, why did you become a Christian? And I think, you're not supposed to ask me that. That's like a softball. You're, you know, you, you made it too easy. And so I shared, you know, I, I actually didn't feel like I found hope, but now I did. And he goes, well, no, what did you feel before you were a Christian? I'm like, seriously? Okay. So I shared, and he's like, so what's different about your life now that you follow Jesus? And I was like, are you reading a book? What is going on? And, and, and so I got to kind of talk about that, and he goes, well, how does that change how you, you interact with your kids? And I'm like, this is just freaky. What's wrong with you? <laughs> what was so cool is, is that we've had a couple of years together, and we've coached together, and he's seen how I interact with the, with the players and my son. And, and, and he even had one time, he goes, I love the way you interact with your son. I wish I could do that with mine. And so something about that. And, and I was not a great evangelist. I'd never said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, let's open the Bible and find out where you're going if you die tonight. I didn't do that. Some of you do that, and that's fine if that's your style. Mine isn't. Mine is, hey, we're friends. Let's play baseball. Let's talk about life. But he said, I see the way you interact with your kid. Light was shining. And he said, why is it like that? And then he shared his worldview, which is very different than Christian worldview. And then I thought, okay, cool. 
conversation kind of stopped, and a week later, I'm driving through the parking lot at the baseball field, and he stopped me. He goes, hey, Ryan. Rolled down my window. He goes, I'm coming to your church. I was like, seriously? Like, no, you're not coming to my church. No, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, that's great. He's like, well, I can't this week or next week or probably this year, but I'll be there. <laughs> but you know what? I don't care. That's God's deal. But the light's shining. And I do a terrible job with it, but somehow, I'm not this evangelist preacher, but I can sit and hang out with someone. And the light demands a response. And the response eventually is they glorify our Father in heaven. Again, it goes back to God. It's the work that God is doing, not the work that I'm doing, not my words, not my perfection, not how I got everything right, because I didn't. They glorify the Father who is in heaven, not you. That's so freeing. So freeing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and, and just offer a few other words here as they make their way. The question now is, how should we respond to all of this? How can we be light? What's some tips that help? And here's some things that I just want to suggest. One, let's pray that God provides opportunities for you to be light. I mean, you have the opportunities, but I want you to specifically pray for them. But I, but I kind of dare you to, because God will. <laughs> pray for people that you interact with and say, God, I pray for this person. I pray that you give me an opportunity to be light in their life. I dare you to make that prayer. See, as us, as followers of Jesus, let's ask God to start to stir the hearts. But we need to be praying and praying. One other thing I do before the draft, when we draft our team, is I pray and say, God, please give me the parents and the kids that you want me to be with for the next six months. And please help them hit a curveball. And then... Um, <laughs> If I pray that before the draft, I make the draft, and afterwards I'm always like, oh, I should have had that kid, not this kid. Oh, why didn't I do this? And God's like, whoa, 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 stop. Hey, idiot, I answered your prayer. You said, give me the kids and the families you want me to be with. I did. Chill out. That's who, that's who I want you to have. Pray. Then be aware that God is moving. And then finally, it's just this. Be encouraged and take heart. Because God is the one who's going to continue to work. It's not up to you. I love in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the disciples are speaking and everyone looked at them and said, these guys are untrained and uneducated people. And then in Acts 4, 13, it says, and the crowds were astonished because it seemed like they had been with Jesus. You know, you're going to stumble through this. You're going to have times to think, God, you cannot use me. I am a mess up. And he says, yeah, I know you are. But take heart, because this is on God's shoulders. We are uneducated, untrained people, and the world will be astonished when they see that we have been with Jesus, because that is different. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time, and as we end with some extended worship, God, I just pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Thank you for the challenge of being light. God, I pray that you would use our feeble attempts to shine like you shone, to offer grace and mercy and justice as you did, to have compassion like you did. God, we fall short of that, but thank you for the offer or for the, the opportunities. I pray now that we could respond to you, God, that you'd speak to us in this place.